Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity that Pastor Casey has given me uh, to speak with you all this morning. Um, while he and Brother Andrew are serving overseas. So uh, just a little bit about me, because you may be like, who is this guy? Um, I've, uh, I've been attending Copperfield with my family uh, since about the fall of 2019, uh, when we first came out to Houston. Uh, I'm currently serving with uh, some of your middle school boys will know me. I, I serve in the, uh, the uh, middle school boys ministry. I'm one of the co-leaders there. And I serve on the finance committee as well. And some of you may know my lovely wife. If you have little ones, she volunteers in the nursery. Um, and there's my, my middle boy, uh, John Anthony. Um, I have an older son, John Edward III. Yeah, the, the John theme is real. And uh, Skyla Faith is my daughter. I tried to name her John too, but my wife vetoed that. So she was, yeah, in retrospect, she was right. Um, So let's take this opportunity to open up in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time, uh, this time that we get to spend together in your word, Father. May your word uh, in its purity be declared, and may hearts uh, receive your word, and may we all be soft to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be glorified, Daddy. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so as I, as I prayed about what to speak with you all about, um, the Lord drew me to the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a very extensive book. There's a lot that happens in there. In uh, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, we see God, he actually speaks through Isaiah, and it's a message that we don't like to hear. It's a message of condemnation to the uh, 8th century uh, Israelites and 8th century BC Israelites. And he's pronouncing judgment. And, and it's the reasons for their immoral behavior and their idolatrous lifestyles. So um, God's judgment, sometimes we think it comes slowly, but in this case, it comes quite swiftly. Um, so we see uh, one ruler of Assyria. His name is uh, Tiglath-Pilzer III. The Assyrian, uh, basically the Assyrian kingdom is expanding, and it's expanding towards the west. And to the west are the uh, northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. So Israel at this point had already been split into two kingdoms. Soon afterwards, in 722 BC, another king named Sargon II, he actually overthrows, the, he overtakes over the, uh, the, first, the northern kingdom. So now only Judah is left. And as you can understand, Judah's concerned. So you go a little bit further into the future, and there's a king named Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, he's facing uh, the, the potential that uh, a new king named Sennacherib will take over the southern kingdom. So what does King Hezekiah do? King Hezekiah, he humbles himself before the Lord, and uh, he calls upon God, and the Lord delivers Israel from uh, the clutches of Sennacherib. And you would think, okay, well, that's great. That's a happy ending to the story. Well, unfortunately, uh, King Hezekiah then becomes prideful. And he becomes prideful in the treasures that Israel has instead of boasting in the Lord. And what, what ends up happening is that um, 
the Lord then brings discipline. And we don't like that. And especially kids hear the word discipline. They think of, well, I guess spankings aren't things that people do anymore. But, you know, you, you, think, you, think, you think of the word, you know, discipline. Don't say anything. We think of the word discipline. You know, and this leads us to uh, the 40th chapter of Isaiah, where we're going to spend our time today. So in this chapter, uh, Isaiah is prophetically speaking words of uh, really comfort to the people of, of Israel because they're, they have a, a, a future of, of exile that's in front of them. And why would he speak words of encouragement? And even here in the Old Testament, we see that that encouragement is in the blessings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah 40 or turn on your Bible apps, however you do it. Um, we'll be in 40, verses 1 through 11. And if you're able to stand, uh, please do stand in honor of the Lord's word. And his word reads, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people who see it together will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, a voice says cry out, and I said what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the breath of the Lord blows on them all. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You may be seated. So uh, in this short time that we have together, we'll examine God's word, uh, his words of comfort to Israel uh, in the midst of quite... Uh, blanketly are their fears and see and this is really what if, if we take nothing away from this see that uh, those who repent of their sins and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is God belong to God and are eternally in his powerful and gentle arms and this leads us to our first division so our first division is Isaiah encourages Jerusalem to prepare for the Lord And this is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. So, you know, I remember when I first arrived at business school. You know, I thought I had it made. This was way back in the fall of 1998. So the stock market was soaring. You know, there was, you know, capital was flying all over the place. Anything with a dot-com behind it, you know, it was, you didn't need need any smarts. You could could just throw your money into anything with a dot-com behind it, and it would double. 
You know, and prior to that, when I was younger, I had attended an Episcopal church sporadically. Um, it was more of a social thing. I had some, old, some classmates that attended the church. So I would go there just as a social thing, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. You know, in that church, you could hear a sermon. And you could hear a sermon, maybe hear very little mention of God, let alone mention of Jesus Christ. So I grew up believing that knowledge was probably uh, the most important thing that a man could have, and that knowledge was, a man, was the answer to all of man's ills. That's how I grew up. And, you know, going to, going to business school, I figured I'd reached the pinnacle. So I figured, hey, you know, I'm, I'm where I need to be. Uh, it's all smooth sailing from here. Well, interesting thing happened. You know, I go to business school, and I start seeing people who I, who I assume... You know, they should, they're, they're the best and the brightest, and they should, you know, they should be acting uh, just beyond reproach. And as the year went on, people were getting more and more depraved. And I didn't understand. I'm like, this is totally contrary to what I thought, to what I believed. So I was confused. And I started to change my philosophy. I said, well, maybe the more that knowledge a man gathers, maybe the more depraved he becomes. But what was happening that I wasn't aware of at first was that God was actually working on my heart. And God was starting to reveal himself to me. And here I am in business school, and for the first time in my life, I actually believe God exists. So, with this revelation, you're probably thinking, okay, well, that's a great revelation, John. You probably went on to immediately become a Christian and live happily ever after. Well, the thing is, knowing that God exists is one thing, but having a reasonable response to knowing his existence is another thing. My response was, well, if God exists, and apparently I don't know him, which is a very scary thought, I need to lay low. So, stop going out, I just do my schoolwork. I said, if I keep my footprint small enough, right, God's got other people he needs to deal with. I'll just lay low, I'll just... I'll just stay under the, you know, just stay undercover. I, I was like somebody that had a hit put out on him and knew that like around any corner you could get it. So I was, I'd laid low. I just disappeared from any kind of social activities. Then a buddy of mine uh, who's gone on to be one of my best friends who he invited me to go with him uh, to, to church. And I was surprised. I mean, I immediately, I was like, oh yeah, let's go. He was like, all right, let's go. So, you know, that Sunday as I sat in the pews and I listened to the pastor preach um, the gospel and the need for Jesus Christ, that's when it really struck me um, that I didn't know God and that more importantly and more scary than that is that he didn't know me. But I did accept Jesus at that point. And even though I didn't know what that fully meant, I did receive instant comfort and then you kind of grow in your walk with Christ. Um, you know, and it's the comfort of knowing really that the things that you can't pay for, he's already paid for. And that really leads us to the beginning of chapter 40, because here we see Judah is receiving the same comfort. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 to you again. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been paid, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord, the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So God speaks to Israel through Isaiah. So understand, Israel still has a hundred years of trouble ahead of them 
before Jerusalem is going to fall. And then they have another 70 years of exile that's ahead of them. So this is prophetic. God is giving them prophetic words of comfort. God calls, calls Isaiah to comfort them and he's to speak tenderly to the people. Like how many times, whether we're dealing with our children and our children you know, need to be chastened, how often do we speak tenderly to them? You know, usually that's pretty tough talk that we're giving them at that time. But God is speaking tenderly, even though he knows that his people are going to be going through some rough times. So what about us? What, ad- what adversities are you facing? Have you lifted the situation up to the Lord? Do you have comfort in knowing that even if God doesn't deliver you from that situation, that God works all things out for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose? You know, becoming a Christian, it, it doesn't suddenly mean that we won't face adversity. Um, it doesn't mean that we'll always have money in our pocket. Uh, it doesn't mean that we'll always have all the best toys. I think, ultimately, that's our fallen definition of what good is, but that's not God's definition of what good is. You know, carnal man looks to the temporal things. It's easy to look to the things of the world, the things that we can touch, the things that are seen. But God desires for us to turn our eyes to the unseen things, to the eternal things. And that takes us to verses 3 through 4, which reads... A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and high and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. So there may be some of you that are hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, oh, that kind of reminds me of what John the Baptist said. Well, right, rightfully so. John the Baptist uh, actually quoted uh, Isaiah. Uh, in, in, his, in his ministry, especially. Um, so, so these words are familiar and they should be to you. Um, let me ask you a question. When there's an important event in your life, something coming up, do you prepare for it? If you have an exam to take, if you have a presentation to give, if you have something of importance, you prepare for it, right? Why? Because... It's something that you know is important, something that you believe that's going to happen, and you know that your preparation is going to impact the results. So then, what about eternity? Are you preparing for the rest of, and I'll say, what will be the majority of your existence? It's certain that... uh, you know, it's, it's, I have a, a pastor, an old pastor of ours from, from California, a different church that we attended, used to say that, you know, there's a heaven and a hell and you won't miss them both. You know, it's certain that we will all end up somewhere. So the question then becomes, what is it that we need to do? What we see here in the scripture is Israel was to pr- prepare the, uh, the way for the Lord. And how do you do this? How do we prepare the way for the Lord? It's by removing obstacles. So how do we remove obstacles? By repenting of our sins. So repenting is not simply saying sorry, but to make the conscious choice to to turn away from something that is not of God. And then at that point, we really have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? To empower us 
to do as God is calling us to persevere in. I mean, how many of you have tried in your own power to stop doing something? Then you feel like you're a dog going back to its own vomit. You know, we may have the right intention. We may have the right intention, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't execute that. And this, so we're, this really kind of parallels what the scripture is talking about, the, the making straight of a highway in verse 3, which people are to do in preparations for the heart. So, you know, you read the scripture and it talks about the raising of valleys, the lowering of hills, and the leveling, leveling of, the, of the ground. And you're thinking, is that my job? That is not your job. That's the work that the Lord must do. The Lord must do that, but first and foremost, we must submit to him to empower us to do the things that he is calling us to do. So the good thing is he's not calling you to do anything that he hasn't provided you, uh, either the ability or that he will provide in his own way for. So sin, just by definition, is anything that takes us away from God. So if we believe that God's, we believe God's word, that Jesus is for sure coming back, right? And we, as a body, are to remove obstacles to prepare. What we need to then ask ourselves, what do we need to repent of in preparation for Jesus' second coming? So I'll let you think about that. I'm going to go on to verses 4 through 5. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, haven't we heard people who call themselves intellectual, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you know what, God has to reveal himself to me before I will believe in him, even though God is doing all these things around us all the time. You know, some people... You know, as, as brilliant as we may consider them to be, you know, from a societal perspective, you know, hey, you know what, I, I, I hold fast to science. I believe in science. I believe in real science. So, you know, the second theory of physics, you know, the law of the conservation of mass, which says that matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Okay, so you can believe that on one hand. But these same people can believe on another hand that out of a whole bunch of nothing, something exploded... And that's how the universe is created. There's just an irreconcilable dissonance in being able to believe both of those and calling yourself intellectual. You've got to bridge that gap somehow. And if you believe in the second law of the conservation of mass, which which historically, other than at the beginning of time, has not been broken, then things must have been created a different way. So it's just logic. But the problem is this. When hearts become hardened, even the people that we consider the most logical, the smartest people, blind themselves to the truth and are open to lies and are open to believing things. And why do people do that? Why do we do that? It's to reconcile the way we're living. We're living outside of God's will, but we want to reconcile that. The only way you can reconcile that is you got to believe something that's false. You got, to, you got to be willing to take in something and say, like, you know what? These two things that don't make sense, I'm not going to reconcile that. I'm just going to say I believe this and I believe that. And this is a struggle that, 
as a body we can have. This is a struggle that Israel had. Um, you know, God's revelation of himself can be lost to people when they continue to deny the truth of who he is. So here during Israel's time, while heathen nations never recognized God for uh, who he was or what he had done, Israel had seen it time and time again. And God was revealing to them that he was going to restore him to his glory. So above and beyond all these different types and shadows that we've been talking about of God's glory here, the glory of God would be displayed in ultimately and has been displayed in the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. So the hard-hearted of Jesus' day, they crucified Jesus. And there's no reason to believe that had Jesus' first coming been in our era, that the hard-hearted wouldn't have crucified him because they would have. They would have killed him by whatever crazy conventional means we would today. It has nothing to do with knowledge. It has nothing to do with what we have up here. It has to do with our hearts. So, the ultimate revelation of the glory of the Lord will be his glorious kingdom where our Lord Jesus the Christ reigns and rules and we get to dwell in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So all of God's word is life. But the importance of this prophecy, and I'll I'll really accentuate this part, is for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, this revelation is for those that have repented. Those that have repented of their sins and come to the world. I have, I, and came to God. It's funny, I have a friend. And, you know, sometimes I think as believers, we, get, we do, rightfully so, we get upset with what's going on in the world. And, you know, something upset me, and my buddy of mine said to me, he's like, you know, a day is going to come when you're not going to be surprised by the world acting like the world, and you're, not, and you're going to respond <laughs> as one who is of God and isn't surprised of the world acting like the world, and you will respond accordingly as one of God. We have to realize that this revelation isn't for the whole world. The revelation is for those that submit their lives to Jesus Christ. So have you, always a fun question, have you repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus? Or, who knows, maybe you've decided that, you know, I'll come to Christ later because I have something really important, something worldly really important that I need to do right now. Um, But maybe you're thinking, I don't know, maybe you're thinking, but you know what? I'm not coming to Jesus now, but I'll go to church because that way I'm kind of buying some good time with God. I'm kind of biding my time, kind of buying God off. But the reality of the matter is God's not like man. God cannot be bought off. And the truth of the matter is, is tomorrow isn't promised. And that leads us to our first principle, which is that eternity is certain, and you will go to the place that you have been prepared for, that you've prepared for. Eternity is certain, and you will go to the place that you have prepared for. That's cheery, isn't it? And this leads us to our second division, uh, God's eternal glory versus man's temporal glory. And verses uh, 6 through 8 of Isaiah. So remember, those who repent of their sins and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is God, belong to God, 
and are eternally in his powerful and gentle arms. So six through eight reads, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So we have to ask ourselves, what things that we're doing will endure forever? You know, years ago, a woman of God, uh, who I know, um, she said something that really has stuck with me for years. And she said that the way we speak as believers, it really reflects what's on our hearts. So as Christians, we often speak of spending time in God's word. It's like we're spending time in jail. You know, I'm doing my time. I'm spending my time in God's word. She says she doesn't spend time in God's word. You're like, what? She invests in God's word, and she reaps multiplied dividends. Do you feel like you're just spending time in God's word? You feel like you're just getting through it as quickly as you can so that you can invest in the things that you really think you're investing in. I mean, do you think you're investing in the stock market right now? Is that your best investment right now? Really? Stocks and bonds? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's your golf game. That's where you're investing, you know? Or maybe it's that fantasy football league. Fantasy football is not on right now, but it will be, and I know you're probably already preparing, doing all your homework. You know, the draft happened not too long ago, so you're already getting it lined up for who you want to, you know, who you want to draft. Uh, what is it? Music? You name it. You know, in verse, the first part of verse 6, you know, the voice tells Isaiah to cry out. And Isaiah has the presence of mind to ask, what shall I cry? So we have to ask ourselves, how many times has God given us liberties? Whether it's liberties with our time or liberties with our money. And we don't have the sense to ask God, what do you want me to do with this time? What do you want me to do with this money? So then, as a result, how much time or money do we spend on things of no value when God actually has a plan for us to be investing something of his doing? You know, Isaiah cries out to the people as God commanded him to give them basically a wake-up call that their glory is as fleeting as the flowers of the field. And moreover, um, it says that the grass withers and the flowers fade. But this isn't because of the circle of life. You know, we think of the circle of life, but that's actually more of like a circle of death, right? Ever since original sin. Because of entropy, everything of this world will be destroyed. The reason why, it says, is because God blew on them. It's God's breath. There's a divine order here to things. And it's important for us to understand that. You know, it's due to original sin that all things in the world will fade away, even including these bodies that we have. So as these rules, you know, they're rules to the physical world, but guess what? They're also rules to the spiritual world because it's just the physical world is just a type and shadow. So then you're, of course, now you're going to ask me, oh, John, what are the rules to the spiritual world? Come on, man. 
I don't know what the rules are to the spiritual world, but there are things that we do know, okay? So, no, God didn't run his manual of what, how the spiritual world works by me, but there are things that we do know. We know that God is the only one that is without bounds. God is the only being without limits. So, you may be going through something right now. Um, it could be something that you've glorified in in the past, and the glory of that thing is fading. Or maybe you're being attacked by the enemy, because that's real, and we do get attacked by the enemy. Or maybe it's a result of original sin. We saw that in the Bible. You know, whose sin is this due to? Nobody's. It's, it's, it's because we're in a fallen world. And sometimes things do happen because of our own sin. So sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. And you know, sometimes God just has a plan that is way above and beyond what any of us can comprehend. So whatever it is, whatever reason you're suffering, the question is, is it for the glory of God? And can it be for the glory of God? I'd posit yes. If it is for the glory of God, the good thing is, his glory is eternal and unfailing. And if it isn't for the glory of God, that's a lot of suffering with no fruit. Just saying. So, the good news is this, that we have as believers the full assurance of the reliability, the stability, and the eternal nature of God's glory and his divine word, which we know as Christ Jesus, our Lord. So only in God's eternal word will we find the lasting solutions to our problems and our needs. And that leads us to our second principle, which is self-glorification is vainglory, but God-glorification yields eternal fruit. So I have to ask, so what about us? What about you? What in your life is self-glorifying instead of God-glorifying? You know, how tragic it would be uh, to stand before God, you know, and, and have so little fruit to show for the magnificent, uh, you know, gift of salvation that he's give us, given us. You know, we really must all humble ourselves before the Lord. This is me too, and seek his glorification only. You know, when we do, we'll see the fruit of the Spirit that uh, speaks of in Galatians 5.22, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll see that manifest in our lives because we're walking in submission to rather than in defiance of God. And when we stand before God, it will be to the most pleasant words and affirming words to me in the Bible. Our daddy, don't you want to hear your daddy say, well done, good and faithful servant? As opposed to what are the scariest words to me in the Bible, I never knew you away from me. That's like the stuff of nightmares. Well, that leads us to the third division. The remnant herald in God, the good shepherd, verses 9 through 11. So remember, those who repent of their sins and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is God, belong to God, and are eternally in his powerful and gentle arms. So verse 9 reads, You who bring good news to Zion, 
Go up on a high mountain. Those who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So in this section of scripture, Zion, um, in, in this section, is really a term of endearment that God is using for uh, the remnant there in Judah. So we have to think about how about us, right? You know, we live in a very, very precarious times. I, I think you would agree. The anti-Christian sentiment um, is swelling throughout the United States, and it's gaining momentum. You know, as Americans, maybe historically, we haven't paid much of a cost for our Christianity. Maybe that's changing. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that people in the United States, we do kind of have the luxury. We can play Christian. We can, you know, kind of play a Christian and go on about our lives. But, you know, we have friends uh, that are Palestinian Christians that live in the Gaza Strip. Guess what? You don't play Christian in the Gaza Strip. Um, my wife's family, she has family in Indonesia. You know, they're Christians in Indonesia. And my buddy who brought me to crisis from Nigeria, I tell you, in the countries where the Muslims are attacking villages and, um, you know, really persecuting people, you don't play Christian in places like that. Uh, one of the brothers of mine from uh, another Bible study is from India. And, you know, in India, where there's uh, communists and Hindu radicals that are attacking villages, you don't play church. You, you just don't play church there. Either you're, you really are dedicated and really willing to lay down your life, or, you know, you, you see yourself for who you truly are. So just some things that uh, with recent news, you know, where are we? Are we asleep at the wheel? You know, the 501c3 status of churches, it's being attacked. And Christianity is being deemed as bigotry, you know, by society at large. So the question is, where will we fall? So if churches lose their nonprofit status, will you stop tithing? You know, will you, you know, because you can't get a tax break anymore, will you drop your uh, church affiliation if the nation starts to scream, um, such as putting your religious affiliation on your driver's license? They do that in Indonesia. So it says on there whether you're a Christian or you're a Muslim. And it's completely legal for um, employers to ask you about your religious status. If you're a Christian, you don't get a job. So things for us to, to ponder, you know, things for us to ponder. You know, the good tidings are that God has come to rescue his enslaved people. So this is just a shadow of the good news that we proclaim today. We're, uh, you know, are you, and we have to ask ourselves, are we lifting up our voices? Um, are we letting family members and friends know that they don't have to live in the despair that they're currently living in? Have you told um, your family and friends that Jesus loves them and came to do the thing that they can't do? Because aren't people trying to save themselves? But Jesus is the only one that can save. Have you told your family and friends that Christianity doesn't mean you have to live this miserable existence? Um, that they don't have to wait for kingdom living until you die? That kingdom living starts the moment that you accept Jesus Christ into your heart? 
And God is calling his remnant to proclaim his truth and not to hide it under a bushel. So verse 10 reads, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. So God is sovereign. He has all the power in his hands, and he rules. So you've, you've heard the term, the long arm of the law. Um, well, the law's arm has nothing on God. God's arm is infinite. Um, he's strong, and he is the only one that is capable of flawlessly providing justice. Sometimes we want to see justice on this side of the, of, the, of the veil, and oftentimes we don't, and it's really discouraging to us. But know that God is just and that he will bring judgment. His reward, it says, is the spoils of victory, which directly here are the people whom he delivered from exile. So in a grander fulfillment, this is really cool, we, all of us who belong to Christ, we are his reward. You may be thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of a janky reward. I wouldn't, I'd want a better reward if I were God. But God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on our behalf. So we are the spoils of victory. And we will be with him. What a blessing that is. You know, for us as the redeemed to be with our sovereign as he rules and reigns. So verse 11 says, he tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them, those that have young. So not only is God mighty to save, mighty armed, uh, sovereign, true master of the universe, but he's also gentle and loving. Uh, in, ancient, in ancient times in the Middle East, actually uh, kings were depicted as shepherds. So we see in the Bible where God is depicted as a shepherd. We see in Psalm 23, he's called a shepherd, right? Uh, he's called in uh, John 10, verses 11 14, the good shepherd. He's called a great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20, and the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5 and 4. So what a blessing to know that you know, this awesome God that we serve is caring for the most defenseless and helpless members of our society, which are children and those who take care of the children. And this really, I think, reinforces to us what the true definition of strength is. What is a truly powerful nation? A truly powerful nation is not defined by its military, but it's rather the nation that relies on God's caring strength. And that leads us to our final principle, which is God keeps his remnant in his all-powerful yet gentle arms. So prayerfully, all of us here know Christ is our Savior and are relying on God's uh, caring strength. But if you don't know Christ uh, for the salvation of your, of your sins, today is the day. Today is the day to invite him into your heart. And the great thing is, you know, you don't have to say a particular liturgy or some kind of ditty to do it. All you have to do is open up your heart to the Lord. He loves you. And you can talk to him just like you talk to your friend, just like you talk to uh, a loving father. And tell him that you put your faith in him, that you put your trust in him, and that you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if you've already made a decision for Christ, this is the challenge for the rest of us. You know, how are we preparing our family and our friends? 
Now, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict, convince, and draw them, but we do need to share. So let us continue to share because Christ is coming again. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.